guys who are just tuning in now, I said before, everyone's shit is getting rocked by Mercury retrograde, whether you believe it in it or not. So, yeah, if your shit has been gonna... rocked lately, it's Mercury's fault, 100%. Mercury is like outrageously retrograde right now. What worst they've seen in years. Actually, we have eight planets in retrograde, like at the same time. So, everyone's shit is getting rocked. Is there like a Can't subreddit confirm. for this? How do you all keep track? Which is oh, against yeah, no. the patriarchy. That's how what? I keep track. That's what it's called. <laughs> what is it? I just... Which is against the patriarchy or which is <laughs> something like that. A lot of the astrology girlies are on my TikTok, so I just watch them. Wow. <sighs> Hello and thank you for tuning in to WGBC Podcast. We are a group of amateur authors sharing writing advice and critiquing each other's ongoing work. If you want to read along, you can find some of our work over at patreon.com slash WGBC Podcast. Today, we will be talking about planning a chapter and Lance's book, Two Moons Mercy. All right, let's get started. Today, I want to talk about planning a chapter. So I plan my books out. I've planned my books out so far quite a bit in advance. Uh, and so I actually end up doing that for each of my individual chapters as well. So often when I'm writing it, when I'm uh, planning out my book, each chapter might be as simple. The, the plan for each chapter might just be a couple of words or one short sentence. It could be that simple. So when I start actually, when I, when I finish my last chapter and I start moving on to the next chapter, I want to, I want to figure out what is the purpose of this chapter? So usually there'll be more than one thing. I'm usually trying to do a couple of different things. So I'll have a couple of different arcs and or purposes for that chapter. For example, I could have trying to retrieve an item or raise the stakes or get character arc progress or introduce new characters, new plots, or new world-building elements, or give new clues to a mystery. These are all different things. I could be doing one or many of these things, or other things, while I'm writing one chapter. I then could try to come up with like the three to seven bullet points I need for my characters to go through and for my story to go through in this chapter to achieve uh, each of those different purposes. One of the purposes will be the primary purpose, and that's the main reason for the whole chapter. And all the other ones are secondary ones. Just a note about this, that maybe in the chapter I'm writing now, it might be about a heist. But a different chapter could be primarily about a character arc. But in my heist chapter, I might have a character arc be a secondary, a secondary purpose. So I'm kind of sprinkling in stuff from other chapters inside this one as secondary arcs. And that's one tool I'll use to keep other other things moving at the same time. So uh, then I'll try. So once I've come up with like the three to seven points for each of the different uh, plot, for each of the different uh, purposes or arcs, then I'll decide the setting. So I'm going to go pretty bare bones here. I'm just going to say, oh, it's taking place on a boat or in a casino or in a house or in a certain or on the docks or whatever. And I'm just going to leave it bare bones because I'm going to fill in the gaps while I'm planning in more detail and while I'm writing the story itself so I can uh, make it fit to the story really well. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to mix and match each of the elements from the different purposes, right? So if I've got like three or four different arcs for my chapter and I've got a bunch of different bullet points for each one, well, some of those bullet points are really going to work well with each other. I'll take my heist example again. Suppose in a chapter, if I want to introduce a new character, and also the main purpose of the the, uh, the chapter is to retrieve an item, so it's going to be a heist. Well, it, as part of a heist, you've got to assemble a crew. 
So in that step of the heist, I can use that to introduce a new character. So I'm always trying to do double duty. I want every every part of every I want every part of the chapter ideally to be doing two things. Either I'm working on the the main um, the main arc and the character arc or a plot arc and I'm adding some world building elements, but I just like to get multiple things done at once. And usually you can find a way to make this pretty seamless. Now, what I'll do now what so then the conclusion of this is that I'm going to take all of my three to seven bullet points for each of the, the, the arcs that's going to happen in that chapter. And I'm going to put them in one huge long list and I'll move them around. And this is going to be the chronological order of events that are going to happen in the story. What I don't want to do is I don't want to bunch all of one arc at once. So I don't want, for instance, there to be like two, three bullet points of heist, and then like five bullet points of character development and then finish the heist. I want to intersperse them in kind of, uh, and, and go and bounce back between the different elements so that I can keep a sense of incremental progress throughout the chapter. And that's what the chapter always comes down to. I want to have a lot of incremental progress. I want to have one main goal and I want to always have regular progress. So let's take a heist again, for an example, for instance, I'll, I'll want to say, you know, one, we're going to establish a motive Then we're going to assemble a crew. Then three, we're going to plan Four, we're going to do a stakeout five. We're going to put on our disguises and infiltrate. And then six, oh no, they moved the target. And now we're kind of took a step back. You can have forward and backwards progress, but there's always got to be progress. We always want to be uh, moving forward in a state. We always want to be in a state of tension, of movement, of action, of conflict. We never want to be just in a contented state because that's because stories are about conflict. And I find that, uh, and so this is really the, the mechanics for me of writing and planning a chapter really comes down to this huge list of bullet points. And that's going to be what I need to hit. And while I'm writing it out, I'm finding out all the details. I'm having fun. My characters are discovering new, I'm discovering new little things with my characters. And, but really I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I hit all of these bullet points. And I'll, I won't hesitate to move them around. I'll definitely move them around to make, uh, to make the story as exciting as possible and to try to spread out the different plot elements. Ideally, I would like the con the the you know to resolve one or two or more of the arcs in the, of that chapter in the chapter itself, so that the reader gets a sense of accomplishment, and we get a fun climax where multiple threads are coming are coming together to give uh, a, in one in one big kind of explosive climax of the story. And I'm not talking about my whole book. I'm talking about really one individual chapter, and I'll get to why. Uh, and so the reason I do that is because I planned my last book a lot and I'm planning my current book as well. And while planning, I found it really easy to want to fall into a trap. And that was to spend the whole book, right? Dropping the perfect breadcrumbs and leading my characters on a leash and leading the reader along a leash through the perfect path of all the information they need to understand the awesome climax at the end. But the problem is that this sucks for the reader because the reader actually has to read those 300 pages. And it's not going to be fun for them if all they're doing is picking up what you're putting down. So you've got to make those 300 pages interesting. So the way that I've chosen to do that, and the way that I've found that I've been able to do that is by making each chapter like a mini, like a contain, fully contained story, almost, well, not fully contained, but uh, an almost fully contained story 
on its own. So it has its own setup, its own stress, its own climax, its own progress. It's all about the progress and always moving forward and then having everything explode in a big, exciting thing at the end. And uh, once, so once I finish, and then what the, the difference with the, of the, the difference between a ch- planning a chapter and a planning a story though, is that at the end of the story, you can have your characters in a, in a content place. You can resolve everything and everyone can live happily ever after. But at the end of a chapter, the reader needs to keep reading. The reader needs a reason to keep going. So I uh, use a tool I borrowed, which is yes, but no, and, and that means all that means is at the end of a chapter, your characters can either yes, succeed in what they wanted to do, but things are actually worse than they thought, or no, your characters have failed and things are still even worse than they thought, even though they failed. So that's called yes, but no, and. And the idea is to help you as a writer keep the plot moving forward with action and conflict and tension and problems. And really, because really, that's what that's what all books are about. Uh, we want to always have a tension-filled, a conflict-filled, and action-driven chapter. And I'm not writing a fan, I'm not writing a thriller or a mystery or a, or anything like that. I'm just writing a regular fantasy book. But let's think back to the Fellowship of the Ring. And we'll go with the movie for this one in the Council of Elrond. In the Council of Elrond, it's just a bunch of people talking. It's like a dozen or twenty people, and they're just talking. But this is anything but uh, this is anything but a boring scene. This they it's tension filled. It's conflict driven. It's action driven, and you've got arguments. You got people uh, debating, making, and then uh, people starting to have uh, be angry with each other, bringing up past fights and in historical issues, and then even Gandalf can't calm people down. Or everyone starts standing up and screaming, and Gimli hits the you know smashes his axe on the ring and all this stuff. Even a simple conversation doesn't have to be boring. It can be fun. And uh, so that's those are the tips I use in every one of my chapters to try to, to keep each chapter be fun to write and fun to read. Yeah, I think that was awesome. This is something I need to remember as like this discovery writer that I love to think I am where it's actually okay to plan out your book and it can actually be like a really great strategy to encourage and help you to write because you know where you're going to be going. You're not feeling around all lost all the time. You know, it, this is like your flashlight, right? So you can still discover things that are happening. Nothing's set in stone or written in blood. Um, but it's good to know where you're going. So yeah, that, that was very motivating. Thank you so much, Lance. I totally agree with even I'm also a discovery writer more than planner, but I definitely think that you should always plan your chapter like or your your section of book. That's roughly, I don't know what, like 5000 to 10,000 words like you should kind of know where you should where you're going to be in 5000 words, I think, even if you're you don't know where your end of your book is going to be. That's where I'm at. That's what I do. I'll I'll do like what you said and set up my events and, and play with them for the next 5,000 words. And then after that, I don't know what's going to happen. This, this, this book, this book I'm writing is going to make me a planning writer. It's going to kick the discovery writer right out of my mouth, like out of my face. You must be planning this one pretty extensively. No, 
no I no you just have your one idea in my head mm. and i'm like oh anyway i you know it's fine but it's fine for you for you there the setting is interesting the characters are really fun and you've already fleshed out the characters and you have one clearly defined problem right but you so know, it's a good framework let, you know let me jump in and just say that like well we'll get into like the re reviewing um lance's like chapter this week but like it was really just a wake-up call because i was like okay like lance knows exactly everything about his book he has really thought about this a lot and it really be and i know that you do and you have done but it became really clear to me today reading it ab about how much you've actually planned and you know it just kind of reminded me like it is a good it's a good thing to know where you're going because you it can just do cool makes shit like that exactly exactly yeah 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 you can really write some cool shit if you know what's what you're doing i guess if you don't well, do it by accident this chapter was tough for me because like you know i i i said even on the the last not the last or the the set the before last one of the our last pods i talked about how like i hadn't done anything on the book for like a week or two and i just thought about it and i was really struggling and i had a one hour talk with pat from the podcast and that helped me really because i i have all the ideas in my head of what i want but sometimes it's hard to kind of get that you know like i said that master list of of bullet points of like the the 30 bullet points that i want to hit in the chapter it's hard to like figure that out like what's the sequence of events going to be to be impactful and cool but still hit all the things i want to hit and i think talking about it out loud can be really 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 helpful uh for sure yeah. For sure. But, but thinking about it and planning it. So like, I just wanted to bring this up because like for my editor, for my romance book, Much Ado Over a Duke, um, they give you what's called a style sheet. And so the style sheet basically is like a um, kind of like a Bible of your book that the editor puts together. And so they give you like, like they, they read through it all and then they give it to you. And basically it's their understanding of your book. Okay. So they have like a section on like the language preference and style. So what your writing style is like the narrative, the layout, the formatting, the main characters, the key features, the geography, the key location. And then they have this thing at the end called the timeline and key events. Okay. So this basically is the order of go from the very start of your book to the very end. Okay. So for me, um, like the first key event is introducing the main characters. Okay. And then they'll give you a little section on description and notes. And that timeline is where the editor finds the issues and mistakes in your book. Because if you have not planned or gone back and edited, there are going to be incongruencies like in your timeline. And they're going to be things that don't make sense. Right. So that is the number one thing they hand to you after they've edited your book and be like, okay, read this and see my notes about why this doesn't make sense or why this character should be introduced earlier. So if you're not doing that for yourself already, the editor is going to do it for you. That's like the number one thing they do. So basically what Lance has done or is doing like these mini style sheets, right? For each chapter. Yeah where yeah, you have exactly. the timeline of events. So it's just good to keep in mind because like these are actual tools like in the editing world that people who know literature use in order to make your book better. So, you know, the more you can get ahead of that, just the better product, finished product you're going to be able to give someone at the end. 
you know, what one thing I didn't say in my intro segment was that usually like I'll come up with my list and then I really like think about it for a while. Even I write my first thousand words and I'm thinking about I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm spending a lot of hours just thinking about it all going like on like on a walk or just, you know, do the dishes or whatever. I'm thinking about what what's it going to look like when I read the mechanics of it? Like, what's the actual meat and potatoes going to look like? And if I find that I do that so much, usually that by the time I start actually writing, I'm reading the first two or three bullet points, and then I'm just rolling. And I don't even look at the page again. Sometimes this means I miss something and I go back, got to go back and add it in. But usually what it means is that by the time I actually start sitting down and typing, my my uh i'm not i'm my output is really fast because i've already done a lot of that kind of uh, the thinking work in the in the background right yeah i kind of do that i write out the titles like i do really short chapters so so i'll have like a dozen chapters titled and uh in the titles would be super vague like um whatever in this chapter so and so does this or whatever yeah and then yeah also by the time i start writing often like two or three things happen in the same chapter or like I need to find a couple more chapters in there to dig deeper into something that I didn't think I had to get into. But um, it all like comes out in the wash. It's basically the same thing. You know, that reminds me of in, in book one, um, which I planned more even than book two. I, I remember I have my original planning sheet, which doesn't even have the current names of the characters. It has other names of characters that are somehow even less pronounceable than the current versions. And the, and the, like some of the, the chapter summaries are three words, right? One will be like suffer crushing defeat. And that's it. Like, I have no idea what will happen. I just know that that's the main thing that needs to happen in that chapter. So when I character arc, yeah. And I, and for me, that's the primary, right? I've talked about how I have primary things and I'm doing everything else as well in the background. I'm doing secondary arcs well in the background. So like, then I get to that chapter and I say, okay, well, here's the, main arc of the crushing defeat that's going to be really interesting to the reader and then i'm going to sprinkle in all my other stuff character development my plot stuff my mystery elements my my setting world building magic and i'm going to just sprinkle a little bit of that in in its own little fun arcs uh that that uh which will will kind of break up the not break up the chapter but it, it helps us ease in and re ease in new items new new elements and reinforce elements we've recently learned about well, totally. Like it's the che- some writers might be familiar with this, some might not, but it's the Chekhov's gun insurance. Um, Pat, do you know what Chekhov's gun is? Have you heard of that term before? Uh, yeah, but explain it to the audience, please. Um, it is like the principle that if you introduce a gun in scene one, in scene two, the gun needs to go off. Okay, so any like foreshadowing that you're providing your readers you have to pay off later on so like keeping track of what needs to be in what um chapter and what beats you're actually hitting so that the payoff comes through at the end is like super important um and and helps keep your story writing tight and and you know people love to have like a big reveal at the end right so this is going to help you get there yeah. And you can always edit. Don't, if you're like, if you're worried that, oh, I don't have this huge, crazy climax, like ready for me or a big reveal, like, hey, not every book needs a big reveal. Although like, it feels like almost every book has a huge reveal these days. 
but uh, you don't need a big reveal to have a like to have a good story. And I'll give you specific examples. Uh, but then you can, but you know, you can edit. So if you don't have foreshadowing and then you have a cool end scene, that's fine. You just go back and edit and add the foreshadowing. And it's uh, probably less work than you. It's probably less work than you think it is. Uh, and about not having big twists. I think every Shakespeare play on the first page tells you what happens, right? Like I'm pretty sure that at the start of Romeo and Juliet, they're like, yeah, this is a story of two people that meet and then they get married and then they like die in five days. Spoilers, by the way, statute of limitations is over. It's been like 500 years, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, so like, it's like, there's no, there's no plot twist. You already know what's going to happen. And, 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 uh, it's about the progress. People love progress, right? What's the incremental progress? How do we get there? And, and that's why watching like a second a movie the second time is still fun. Yeah, well, like, and you that's where a, the, you're noticing all those like things that the author did, and that's exactly, makes it cool. exactly. All the foreshadowing is now more obvious. I think I, I want to talk about your story, so let's get uh, into the the summary. So this chapter opens with Mastim getting details during a stakeout. The crew are in Brinka City, where the Duchess has fled, and the Duchess is there, and she mostly hangs out at the observatory. The crew has to steal the Black Moonstone from her, and they suspect that it's at the observatory, which is where she always hangs out. Uh, we get some mad scientist vibes already from the start. There's going to be a ball at the observatory the next day, so they make a plan, which we barely know anything about, to infiltrate the ball, sneak off, and to steal the black moon, try to find the black moon stone and steal it. This might be the only chance they get to get into the observatory. So the crew, Mastim, Nadina, Jordan, and Sabin, uh, they get to the party and they find out that the Duchess isn't there. Her ship arrived, and so she ditched the party, and she's fleeing the city, and they're loading everything onto her boat, and she's gonna leave. So the four of them run down to the docks. Uh, Nadina and Mastem pull ahead of pull ahead from the others, and Sabin and Jordan get split away from them. They don't know where they are. But as they lose Sabin in the crowd, she shouts, "Stick to the plan. Whatever you do, stick to the plan." So uh, then Nat, Nadina and Mastem get split get split apart, and Nadina is on her own. She thinks, "Just got to stick to the plan." So she gets on the ship and she tells the guard that she's the uh, trade assessor. And so the guard points her off to the front of the ship with the rest of the assessors. And now she's on the ship. She doesn't really know what she's doing. She gets there and she talks to the trade assessors for a bit. And the boat sets off into the ocean. Then she hears a voice behind her. And it's the Duchess who's there herself. Uh, the mad scientist Duchess herself. The Duchess, very suspicious because Nadina isn't the assessor she's had in the past, starts grilling her with questions, but Nadina knows all the right answers from her time in the family business. Then a guard comes and informs the Duchess, Duchess, the trade assessor has arrived. He's in your cabin right now. Nadina's heart dra drops. She knows she's going to get caught because the, the, there's not two trade assessors. The Duchess is very suspicious, but does think that Nadina's the the correct one because she knew all the answers to her questions. So she, she storms off towards her cabin, Nadina following guards in tow. They walk into her cabin and Nadina is certain that she's going to die because the, the, the mad scientist Duchess is going to 
be suspicious and catch her, but she says she's just, she thinks she just needs to buy time for Mastim to just do whatever he can. They walk into the cabin and Mastim and Jordan are both in there unexpectedly prying open a chest. Nadina, thinking on her feet, slams the door shut in the guards' faces and locks it. The Duchess starts screaming, intruders, intruders. And uh, Mastim starts screaming at her and questioning her. The guards are battering down the door. Jordan's feeling at all the tapestries in the room and finds a secret door. As the guards break through the door, Mastim lets go of the Duchess. Nadina, Mastim, and Jordan run into the secret into this the door the behind the secret door behind the pat tapestry, and run into this secret door. They they slam the door shut. The door is huge, thick oak door, and as soon as they close it, all the sounds outside of them muffle. It's a soundproof door. They lock the door. And it starts sh- shaking as the guards try to hammer it down. But it's a thick door, so they've got some time. Inside the room is a, is a mad scientist's lair. There's test tubes, vials, bloody tables all over the place. And five prisoners tied up on the wall, uh, tied up on the wall, covered in blood. The crew search for black moonstones as Mastin frees the prisoners, and they eventually find one black moonstone strapped to a prisoner's hand with tape. The door's getting hammered open, and Nadina's sure they're going to die, and uh, and they're going to die, and the Duchess will get the black moonstone back. But Jordan uses his uh, rage fire as an explosive to blow a hole in the side of the ship, and Nadina thinks uh, thinks to herself, well... I'm going to jump out this hole and I'm going to die in the open ocean, but the moonstone will sink to the floor of the ocean and the bad guys will never get it. So that's at least a partial success. As she looks out the the window and the smoke clears, she sees the tiny sailboat that they had taken to the city in the distance. It's Sabin with the sailing crew on it and, uh, and uh, she's, she's come to rescue them. So Nadina laughs to herself, the crew and the rescued prisoners jump out the window and they, and they uh, swim to the sailboat and sail off into the distance before uh, the Duchess can wheel the ship around and catch them. The crew has succeeded. They stole the Black Moonstone and they rescued some prisoners in the process. However, Jordan has been panicking the whole time. Jordan never panics. Jordan is almost always, always, always calm and pretty moderately happy and even keeled. But Jordan is panicking. Jordan is screaming. Jordan interrogates a prisoner and gets in and a dark gets a dark look in Jordan's eyes and says the the evil cabal third moon they know about the true secret of the two moons and its greatest power I thought I was the only person in the whole world who knew about this but since they know now I have to tell you and that things are actually way worse than we thought and then the chapter ends um yeah so I just want to say like I really enjoyed this section and I feel like the story is starting to come together because well not that it's starting but like we're getting into the meaty section of the book right so our characters have been introduced we kind of know who everyone is everyone's established their motives are like pretty well established so we get to kind of watch them do cool shit now which is which is just great and um so I will talk more about like themes and symbolism, but something I want to mention is that I actually really appreciate the crew fighting to stop the end of the world or like total destruction. 
it feels like more real. Maybe it's just the times we're living in, but it just feels more real than having this amorphous issue of, you know, someone taking over the world or having absolute power. Like we know this is extremely destructive. Like they're literally fighting to like not put a hole in the planet, you know? So I just think, I just like really think that's a a good kind of evil to be fighting alongside like all these other quote unquote villains. But like, I personally hate the trope of like someone doing something just for crazy sake, like kind of like the Joker um, thing. No offense to people that love the Joker, like whatever, you can be wrong, live your life. Um, But yes, so that was something I really took notice of. Um, Also happy to be back with Sabin and the gang because when we sent them off there, you did make a promise to us that there was going to be like a pretty sick heist. And I think like you kept your promise for sure, which was great. Um, not only that, but the book is called like two moons mercy. So I find it interesting that we kind of have these two different groups, um, telling the stories. Like it, it just is fitting with what you're trying to do with the book, you know? Um, so like that aspect of it makes sense to me as well. I'm really happy to be getting more from Sabin's perspective. So we open the chapter with like Sabin and I think in book one and correct me if I'm wrong, but most of like Sabin is like told through flashbacks. So I'm just like happy to see the woman she is now um, and, and get her feelings because she like is nervous. And if I felt like she, it humanized her a little bit. Um, so we have all the hallmarks of a great heist narrative starting up. Okay. We have an awesome backdrop, which is the party at the observatory. We have Sabin who is assuming a hidden identity. We also have a time frame, and we have a diabolical criminal we're going after. So we are getting kind of like a James Bond scene in the middle of a fantasy book, which I just think is awesome. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And then, um, this is like a very rudimentary thing and you do this all the time anyways, but I just wanted to point out that in this chapter, Lance does a lot of excellent showing, not telling. Like for example, um, describing the dress that the Empress is wearing, like as part of her costume, um, showing that it is like perfect in place. Like it really fits. It tells us about who Sabin is as a person, right? She cares a lot about this mission. She wants the mission to go well. So she's dressed impeccably um, and she's going to assume this role, like even though she's nervous, you know, like the way she's dressing, it's kind of like her armor. So we're getting an idea of who this character is. And it's when people do it like that, it's just so much more eloquent and you're trusting your reader to make the connection and it's it elevates the entire story itself. Um, and then they have this plan. Everyone's willing to stick to the plan, but immediately right away, there is a flaw in the plan, which is perfect. It makes for good storytelling, right? So they have to think on their feet to get to the judges. Um, and they show up at the docks and by the way, again, showing, not telling, I can totally picture in my mind's eye what the docks look like. Um, and then I wrote like a little pat on my back to myself. Hey, guess that atmosphere, <laughs> atmosphere podcast paid off. Um, but no, I'm, I'm just kidding, Lance. You always have good atmosphere. So um, yeah, I could like, you know, hear how people were talking, could smell like this, the watery air, like it was great. Um, and then another thing 
is that we are seeing Nadina's earned character arc carry over into this story. So we have this part told from her perspective. So the last book, part of Nadina's arc was having more leadership and confidence in herself. And so she charges ahead with the mission, even though she's nervous. And it turns out she's very well suited to it because she has the knowledge from her past to be able to kind of get through the gatekeepers. Um, And I also want to say that even though like the characters, so we have like the characters encountering a difficulty um, and then solving it with their competence, which is what you want to see for a character you're rooting for. Right. Um, So that was a nice touch. I also thought the Duchess was a good villain, greedy, evil, awkward, scary looking, you know, reveling in in chaos and pain and weirdness. So, you know, that is kind of a good setup for, again, who she is as a person, what we can expect from her. And then, like, I was doing these notes in real time, right? So, um the tension is is really good. You keep it high the entire time. You know, your heart's pounding. Like, what's going to happen to these people? Everyone knows the feeling of, like, not wanting to get caught. Um, I don't think all of us have been in a life or death scenario like that. But I think the story is told in such a way where we really are relating to the characters and we're rooting for them to get out. Um, and then when we break into the... Um, the torture chamber room, whatever we are shown, um, like tinctures, things to make like quote unquote potions. So there's another mystery being introduced, like within the mystery here of where the moonstone actually is. And then I did put down, is it something to do with torture? I was curious. Um, and then we actually do find the moonstone and there's a very good scene where Jordan uses it to break out of the ship. So we get a reminder about how powerful these things actually are, which is, you know, at this point in the story, important because I don't think since the last book we've really seen that kind of power in action or like we've just heard about it up until this point. So that's good. Um. Also interesting, we have left the Duchess alive. So our heroes have escaped with the Moonstone. But you can bet that she knows what they all look like. She is pissed and she's ready to come after them. And she has a lot of money and a lot of armies and a lot of power supporting her in that. Um, in, in that. So I think you are making a promise that she is going to be hunting them down now. And then another thing I want to point out is that I figured out about the Vision sibling before Yurden tells Nadina. How? Because there are references to the prisoners speaking of dreaming, which is a um, thing that Lance uh, references in the very beginning of the book. So he's calling back to that. Um, And so I figured it out. And then, of course, it's confirmed by Yurden. So I felt very smart. And now this is interesting because our villains are possibly more diabolical than we thought. They want more than weapons and and possibly power. They actually want the Vision sibling. So they are kind of now in an arms race to find that Vision sibling 
before the enemy does or else it could spell disaster. So the stakes, even though we had this win, just got a lot higher. Um, so yeah, a really great chapter that was very well structured. And yes, I, and I can't wait to keep reading. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I'm I'm glad that you figured out that the Duchess is looking for vision siblings. Because it's true, like you walk in and they're all speaking, the they're all Severin and strapped to the, they get the, they were talking about the dreams and okay. So, all right, Pat. Uh, awesome. Yeah. I think this maybe is my favorite submission that you've ever done. This was fire. Whoa, um, really? I, yeah. I love this. I, uh, I'm skipping ahead cause this is one of the reasons I did really like it. So in the climax of your last book, you did that quick character shift move. Yeah. And did you do it for any other parts in that book? I don't think so, right? No, I did not. I definitely didn't. Yeah, because anyways, now we're trained in your writing to know like, oh, we're switching characters really quickly. Like, buckle up. This is going to be big. And like, anyways, it, it put me right in the mood of like, okay, this is going to be a big deal. And I already understood the stakes because they were so well foreshadowed throughout the book and a half that we've read. But um up the ante for sure and i knew to like all right listen up this is gonna be sick um i love the heist intro with mastem sneakily talking to the guard and and you're like set the little tiny clues you're like the taller guard and i'm like oh i remember talking about I, I we had talked about it so i i remembered this part but yeah, i don't uh, call oh, him mastem at any time in the first chapter you just figure it no. out no once you once he meets the other guard again, it's confirmed. But otherwise, he says, "You ever consider playing layered ball?" And we're like, "Oh yeah, I knew it." I it out. <laughs> and then, uh, oh, this is like maybe a nitpick. Maybe I just wrote this because I didn't know how much notes I would have. But um, when Sabin is running through her character to herself before the heist is starting, I think like I like that a lot, and it explains us the entire plan. Well, a, lo- a chunk of the plan without having us to sit through a planning session. But I think if I was trying to remember specific details of the plan and like coaching myself to remember them, like I'd have gotten really specific. You know what I mean? Like she's kind of like, yeah, these, this is like the broad out f- framework of my character, but it should be really like those little specific things that she would be trying to remember. I think you're but absolutely you right. That. And it, that's a silly point. I don't no, know but I think what I could do to fix it is have her, like her first thought be like really specific and granular. And then she interrupts her own thought and is like, our plans, plans always go to shit. I should stick to the basics. Mm, That'd be good. And that, and that way I fix it with one sentence. Yeah. You could do that easily. Okay. Um, good job moving the mark onto the ship that, uh, and you even took the time to quickly foreshadow it with the guard talking about the ship. So it wasn't like, completely out of nowhere, even though it was within the first whatever quick bit of your chapter. Um, oh, the Nadina test was awesome. Her, like, of course you'd know those answers, obviously. Like, it was completely not out of range for her to know it. And then I like later when uh, when she's going through her calculations. Like, these are my two favorite Nadina moments for the thing. She's going through her calculations and she's like, Okay, well, we only have 1% chance, but I mean, it's the only time we're going to get 1% chance. And 
we're gonna die no matter what so screw it just do it no matter what and uh there, the other nadina calculation scenes i really like they were like when she's doing the layered ball game betting but this one it's very like star trek like yep well this is a like a, a good way to look at the situation rather than like using the numbers and it made sense to me and it was yeah pretty sweet um the pyro escape was sweet uh the vision done sibling reveal was awesome and also like obviously that one was so well foreshadowed that you didn't even really have to say exactly it wasn't explicitly said i don't think by yurden that they were looking for no maybe he did say it but anyways whatever i we've all figured it out before he said it regardless um and we also know not only like we not only could guess that that was what she was looking for but also we know exactly what the consequences of that are or very we know of the consequences of them not exactly what they are yet but uh, we know like how the importance of it for sure and i have some disagreements with jess's hot takes i think like since the um duchess she's got her own like mad scientist stuff going on i don't think maybe necessarily the other two moons and the three moons alliance are working so hard on this part of the plan I thought that me, I think that they're more interested in the gunpowder and this is kind of her crazy side project figuring out who the uh, vision sibling is. I could be wrong with that, obviously, but that's what I kind of took away from it. And, but then the other part that I was going to say, actually, I'll save that for hot takes. I'll save the next thing. Um, anyhow, yeah, really good chapter. Um, was super high paced. Perfect heist. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. One thing I did do is I, I realized that I had like my last chapters, they weren't, you guys, you both confirmed that they weren't boring, that they were like good entertaining conversations and arguments and stuff, but there was a lot of talking and planning. And I, so I wanted to do no planning. So I actually, I just didn't do the, I didn't talk about the plan at all. I give you like a couple of thoughts from Seven's mind. And I was like, well, it's okay. Cause the plan's not going to work anyway. It's cause right away they moved the target. So yeah, I agree. Matter. Yeah. You yeah. don't want to get so far into it. Right. Cause yeah. it changes anyway. I just wanted to have fun. I want to get to the fun parts. Um, but yeah. And one, one thing I will say is I wrote the first like thousand words in one session. I wrote the next thousand words in another session. And then from, from the moving the target to the end of the, to the end of the chapter I wrote in two hours, one shot, which is right like 3,200 3, words in two hours, which is 1,500 words per hour, which is, pretty fast but that's I how you thought make money it. yeah but i've been thinking about it. like there's so many hours going into that beforehand right right but uh yeah okay uh do you want to jump into hot takes yeah i'm down i got a good one okay um all right hot take so the moonstone's proximity is obviously involved in the vision don's ability to have visions and i don't think that's something that we knew about yet um, but if the Duchess is like making them hold on to the moonstone or whatever and taking them out to see presumably closer to the where the um, moons cross overhead and all that, I think like having that moonstone is going to be what allows the like Yurden obviously has one. So he and and that's why he can have his uh, visions of the other side of the world. So now I think that having the stone um 
near like Mastim and Nadina now, who we both suspect maybe one of them is the next vision sibling, uh, will allow us to more easily recognize who the vision sibling is. So in the so it's definitely confirmed that being under the two moons is the only way to get visions. But that the, should be having clear. the stone though, that was clear for sure. That yeah, okay, that's clear. Now having the moonstone is not clear. I have not said that uh, in the book. So whether it's true or not is not yet confirmed. Okay. That's my hot take. Sweet hot take. Sounds good. My hot take is that the moonstone, when if the moonstone is in the hand of a vision sibling, oh my god, has this has this been already like talked about? If the moonstone is in the hand of vision sibling, I think, like, so, I don't know what it is, but something important will happen. Is that like much of a hot take? I, maybe I'm not putting my words together right, but that's that's what I'm thinking. And I think Nadina might have one already. She has a white one. She has like she has a white, has one. white right. moonstones, which are which have uh, different mechanics. White moonstones okay. are the pretty ones common, that, protecting and ones. they protect you. And the black moonstones are the very rare ones that, at that at minimum, can launch the rage lightning, the ultra nuke. Or and also now we hear from Jordan that there are other factors as well that are even greater. Well, How many black like, moonstones does Yurden have? I'm I don't know for sure, but at least five. I'm I wondering, think. like, if it could control like the tides or the the moons or something. That would be my hot take. That's pretty hot take. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Write that down. Put that. In the, put that in the book. Neither confirm nor deny, of course. Um, uh, but are we okay. doing a, a fanfic or classic lit? Or are we doing one-star reviews with Jess? I, I have a one-star review oh, let's do that. idea for a book um, that I had in my head. But yeah, it's it's whatever you guys want. Let's go one-star review. One-star review. Let's do it. Okay, well, just to wrap up, Lance, like, great job. I really enjoyed that. And... Uh, I mean, now, like, you have the good, good juju happening. So you got to keep it going. I have at least... I have at least a couple more cool scenes coming. So that's good. Yeah. I don't actually know what's next. I have to look. I haven't looked at the, the project plan in, like, a month. Because so, <laughs> I knew this one was coming out of time. So I actually don't know what's next. But thank you. Thanks both to you. Thanks to both of you. Okay, once our reviews with Jess. This is where we read, or I read rather, a once our review from a book that's considered to be good enough to be included in the canon of Western literature. Um, so I am going to read this review without any identifying aspects and then lance and pat will guess what book it is okay you ready okay i read this book for the first time in the eighth grade i had to get my mom to sign a permission slip because of the cursing 
Before I began reading, I had so many expectations. Back then, I read Seventeen magazine. And back then, Seventeen magazine ran brainy features about books and poetry. There was one feature where they asked people what book changed their lives, and something like more than half said, this book. I think there might have been some celebrity comments in there too. At any rate, it was a ringing endorsement. So you can imagine my disappointment when I hated it. Not only did I hate main character, but I hated everything about the novel. There was not one thing I enjoyed. I did my book report where I confessed my hatred, which led to my teacher to confess that she did too, but I couldn't let it go. I honestly felt that my loathing of a novel that so many others found life-changing indicated that some deep indicated some deep and horrible flaw about myself. I felt like hating this book was my dirty little secret. Time passed and my self-loathing mellowed. I began to think that perhaps I'd come at it too young. So after my first year of college, I decided to reread it, to go at it with fresh eyes and see if my opinion had changed. Here's the thing. It hasn't. I get it. I get that main character is supposed to be loathsome. I get that he is the hypocrite he hates. I get that almost all teenagers go through that kind of thinking he experiences. I get it. I just don't like it. Oh, and I am not ashamed anymore. <laughs> I have guess. I know. I have guess. I think I know it too. I know it too. Okay, okay you Pat, can you say have it. Your guess ready? Yeah, I'll go. It's Catcher in the Rye, right? Catcher in the Rye, yeah. Oh, you got it 100%. <laughs> it's so true. And I don't know that I've met anyone who does like it. I mean, like, I like it. Like, it's, I read it. So I convinced myself because I put the time in that I, it's fine. Can I talk about a, a book like where, like, what is the plot of Catcher in the Rye really? It's just a person walking around New York. Can I tell you guys my, my greatest secret? Yes. Not a great secret. It's not even top 100. I have okay. not read it. Okay, but you know of it. Yeah, I mean, I know that nobody likes the main character and that he complains all day. There's a lot of complaining. Thing of him, his explanation of the catcher in the rye, and then it's just like this weird thing. Because I feel like I had one of those. I was like, when I was a teenager, my thing was like I wanted to go walk like um, Forrest Gump and just start walking and see how far I could go. So I get that part, but the rest of it, I don't think I behaved like that when I was a teenager. You don't think you were insufferable, opinionated, know-it-all? Well, maybe, but like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. maybe I have to read it again. I think it was like J.D. Salinger's like one book, right? I think he only wrote like a few books in his lifetime. Um, I guess maybe now that we're old and can look back at ourselves at that age, maybe it will it'll be different. But if the teacher hated it like... too, I mean, this review guy says that the teacher hated it, so... Yeah. Maybe she hasn't I, read it though recently. I do wonder like why they teach it. Um, anyway, yeah. So there you go. Catcher in the Rye, one star review. I figured it out because of the swearing part. And then <laughs> the rest the rest confirmed it. That was at the very top of that long ass review. That, people review. are very funny actually on Goodreads. I'm I'm quite impressed with the caliber of review that's happening. Yeah, that was a good three or four minute review. It was yeah. a solid review. Yeah. I was thinking about at the start, like, this is so funny. I'll put it as the cold open, but I can't. It's too long. <laughs> no, the cold open should be just like, like for, for the listeners, like we have Pat that does his editing magic, but how long was it? Like a good 15 minutes of just technical 
difficulties at the top of this podcast. Oh, this is this one was rough. Today was rough. We saw 12 minutes. Oh, saw 12 yeah. minutes. Lance, what was the issue in the end? No idea. Really? Yeah, you just I I had to know. download just... a new browser and now I don't use the other one anymore forever. Like, I think maybe what Lance is trying to teach us vis-a-vis two moons is the fact that, you know, the planets affect us, guys. Okay, and the astral bodies above. Yeah, and not just Mercury. No, everything's in retrograde right now. We have eight planets in retrograde. And listen, it's, it's tough out there. So take care of yourselves this week. Have a bath. You know, my SI joint, for example, is really acting up. So I'm going to take immediately after this a bath full of magnesium bath salts and it'll feel really really nice so you know you, you gotta know just do the little things you know what my cousin just texted me just now while we were talking <laughs> he said his dog threw a rat at him and he said the thing flew 15 feet screeching tell me that's not mercury man that's mercury 100 percent. lansling what's been your status with the retrograde are you okay well i didn't know there was okay going on when did it start so you're like on a uh, placebo effect, right? <laughs> placebo, yeah, exactly. My <laughs> life has been in shambles. I just didn't realize because I didn't know Mercury was in retrograde. Yeah, he's actually the control for the placebo because he didn't know. Is your life in shambles? Because that would confirm the theory. Uh, is my life in shambles? Probably well, just not. like mild shambles, no. I guess. It's no, it'd be like shambles. technical mild... difficulties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, for example, no, this um, is a good mystery. My TV upstairs, the TV downstairs works. The TV upstairs will not play any of my streaming services. Netflix, Amazon, Mm. Disney. Nothing's working on the upstairs. Okay? Yes, I've turned it off and off again, on and off. I've unplugged (laughs) it. I've replugged it in. Okay? I have unplugged my router, plugged my router back in. Oh, wow. I've done it all, guys. And it's just not working. And you know what? Mercury's in retrograde. My oven, this isn't even a lie. My oven light went out and also the light in my um, hallway won't turn off. So won't turn off? me that. Yeah, the switch is, it doesn't work. And it's attached a three-way switch to a light downstairs that won't turn on. Flip the breaker and then turn all, and turn all the other lights on and then that one will stay off. No, right? it's <laughs> it's stuck on. Like it's, yeah, I know. But if you, if you flip the, if you turn off the, oh yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know either. I called my uh, other cousin who's an electrician and he didn't know. I'm just living with it now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Electricity Cast. <laughs> no, it's astrology. Retrocast? Cast. Retrograde cast? Oh, the retrograde. Blame it on the retrograde. Blame it yeah. on the retrograde. The one good note, and this actually does tie back into writing. So this will be the last like little rambling thing I go on. But with the retrograde, like what you want to do, this is the advice from all the astrologers, right? Like just double check, triple check all your contracts. Don't sign anything. Okay, don't start anything new. But you can go back to old projects that need to be finished. So that manuscript you have sitting on your desktop that you haven't looked at for a year, man, go back and just see how you feel about it. Because the retrograde is helpful for that shit. Okay. That's, and not anything else. That's actually good because for sure, every time I'm two thirds away, when I was two thirds or three quarters the way through Two Moons Part One, I was like, it was like complete climax of story. And I was like, you know, I have this other idea for this awesome story. There's like the NBA and there's magic and basketball and stuff. And then you guys were like, Lance, you gotta, uh, you gotta finish your story. 
that's all we have for today. Check us out over at patreon.com slash WGBC podcast. And we'll be back next Monday to talk about my book, Milkweed Monarchy. That didn't change. We'll hopefully we'll be doing that. Uh, thank you. And remember to just keep writing. I know they still say it's like one of the best teen books of all time. Like that was literally on Stephanie Mayer's website. I was like, wow. Like obviously self-endorsement is a thing, but I don't think you can just go around saying that. You know what? If you're self-publishing your book, you got to just put a quote on the book. Yeah. <laughs> and if so it's I'm not on the book, it's like we put ads <laughs> in this first episode. We didn't have a sponsor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, by the well, way, I have two ads that can happen for oh, future nice. episodes. Yeah. Let's get them in. Okay. Welcome to WGBC Podcast. Not not, not just another NFL and gambling podcast. It's like every I every like podcast, that. NFL and gambling podcast, and NBA and gambling. We don't do true crime here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome God. to WGBC Podcast. Not just another true crime podcast. <gasps> I got people in my life who love true crime podcasts. They're going to get well, I just smashed like, that. I don't know, 20 hours of alien true crime that was like an hour like, that was legit though that is a legit podcast Wait, alien i tried a couple more true crime so much well it was like a podcast about alien abductions where they just talk about oh, okay okay because i thought true I, crime what, implied that another one real. that was actually that and they just talk about the um like what had happened without any editorializing and they try to stay impartial I'm like this is boring. Right. i want to hear the guy's opinion about it